0: Good morning, good to be here. When I heard the invitation song number announced, I knew it was time for me to get up. Different congregations do things a little bit different, and so I thought, well, I'll know when the time comes to get up. Uh, If you have Bibles handy, turn with us to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and I understand you all have been going through the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, that's composed chapters 5 6 and 7 of the book of matthew has to do with the sermon on the mount some of these teachings are found other places where the bible refers to the, jesus speaking them in a plane rather than on a mount and rather than being any kind of contradiction to be kind of like someone saying well jerry has a toyota someone else says jerry has a dodge now is that contradictory Two things are not contradictory unless they both can't be true at the same time necessarily contradictory. I have a Dodge and I have a Toyota both, you see. There's no doubt in my mind but what Jesus taught the things that he taught in more than one place at more than one time. He taught them at various different times in various different places. And so some of the things you find in Matthew... Chapter five, six, and seven, in the Sermon on the Mount, he taught other times when he was in a plain or in various different places, maybe even in a town. Sometimes even in a synagogue, he taught some of these very same things. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew chapter seven, beginning verse thirteen, and enter you in, in at the straight gate. Now that word straight, S T R A I T means tight and narrow. It doesn't mean like a straight line. But a tight narrow place, like the Strait of Gibraltar. That's a tight place, as where the Mediterranean Sea goes out into the Atlantic, and it's a kind of a tight spot there. The Rock of Gibraltar's on one side, and Africa's on the on the south side, so it's kind of a tight spot there, and it's called a Strait. I think I keep hitting this thing. I don't know, but anyway, anyway, we we'll get along with the microphone, whatever. But here he says, "Enter ye in at the Strait Gate." Talk talking about a gate being straight or tight, restrictive. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So here we find Jesus talks about two, two different ways that a man can go, and he's talking about the life you live, basically. Uh, there's two different kinds of, of lives that are available out there. And you certainly uh, will pick one or the other. If you don't pick one, you'll automatically be in the other. Where uh, the two, these two, uh, this passage talks about two destinations. One of these ways leads to life, and the other one leads to destruction. So, when you begin to think about your life, you need to think about more than just right now. You need to think about the end result of your life. Now, you and I, we have to live today, but everything we do does not need to be concentrated upon today. But we need to think about the end result of things. And, of course, when you begin to live in life, you realize that this is true about a lot of things. You have to think about the end results. I have a granddaughter whose husband is studying law. He's got a law degree, and he's studying for the bar exam right now. It takes a whole lot of time, a whole lot of effort, and a whole lot of study... For him to go through with that is something I'm. I don't know whether he enjoys it or not, but he does enjoy the work and the labor and the intensity of it. Even during our Christmas holidays, he's had to take a certain amount of time each day, and I don't know all the all the details about you know qualifying for the uh, you know for passing the bar and qualifying to get your license as a legal attorney and all like that, but. Evidently, there's, in preparing for that, there's a certain amount of that he has to do every day and report that in. Well, but you know, he's looking at the end result of it, isn't he? The end result is he's going to get, you know, be a, bon- a bona fide lawyer in Texas. He won't be in Oklahoma because he have to pass the bar in Oklahoma too to do that. But he, he's looking at the end result of that. And that's true with any of you young folks that are going to college or any of you that have ever gone to college. Now, there's a lot of things about college I enjoyed. But there's some things I didn't enjoy about college. The intensity of the study and all, you know. But you look at the end result of all that, don't you? Now he talks about these two different ways here. One is a, is a straight gate and a narrow way. The other is a wide gate and a broad way. One of them is difficult to travel. The other one is very easy to travel. You are just automatically going to go that way unless you choose to the straight and the narrow way. But what you do, you look at the end result of things. The straight and narrow way leads to life, whereas the broad, the broad and wide way leads to destruction. So, if you look at the end result of these, then then it looks it puts a different complexion on the whole thing, doesn't it? Paul said in Titus one and verse two, said in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world became, uh, began. Now Paul lived in hope of eternal life. The word hope has two things involved in it. One is desire, the other is expectation. He desired eternal life and he expected eternal life. So he lived in hope of eternal life that God had promised before the world began. And he says God cannot lie about that. So that's the end result that you and I would like to think about. In John chapter 14... Actually, John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 are one oration. One speech, basically. And it takes up a big part of the book of John. Beginning in, in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, in other words, where God dwells, are many mansions, that's many places. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, it says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Where was he going? The next uh, the next verse, verse four and five. Whether I go, you know, and the way, you know. Thomas said to him, "Lord, we know not whether thou goest." And how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except he come by me. So when he says, I go to prepare a place for you, he certainly went by the cross. He had to do that to prepare the way. But when he says, I go somewhere, he was going to the Father. He's not talking about going to the cross. He's talking about going to the Father. The cross is on the way. And he says, when I get there, I'll prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. Now then notice in about verse 28. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Chapter 16, verse 5. But now I go my way to Him that sent me. That's the Father. And none of you asketh me whether thou goest. Verse sixteen and seventeen, a little while and you shall see me, and again a little while you shall uh, oh said a little while you shall not see me, and again a little while and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Verse 17. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us, A little while and you shall not see me, and again a little while and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. Look at verse twenty eight. I came forth from the Father, and am come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. What's all these verses? Why have I covered all these things? To emphasize to you the fact that when Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's going to the Father. And that's where the places He was preparing. It was not the church. Even though He prepared the church for us. He was going to the Father. And there He prepared a place for us. And He says that. I am the way, the truth, and the Father. No man can come to the Father except he come by me. So you and I, we think about that mansion in heaven. I don't think it'll be a literal mansion. The word mansion here really means rooms or places. In other words, God, Jesus is preparing a place for his people. And it's going to be a wonderful place. You like the good things of this life? If you like the good things of this life that God has prepared for us... That's just a small sampling of what eternal life's going to be like. If you like the good things of this life, you don't want to miss heaven. You don't want to miss heaven. It'll be a wonderful place. What do we know about it? Well, we don't know a whole lot about it as far as details are concerned, except it's going to be a wonderful place. It's going to be a place where you and I won't have any more troubles anymore. Let not your hearts be troubled. you believe in God, believe also in me. The troubles of this life are worth it all when we think about the end result, you see. But now there is another way other than the straight and narrow way that leads to a different place. It leads to a place of destruction. Luke 16 talks about a rich man that died, verse 22 through 24, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. So they, Father Abraham sent Lazarus to me, that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. It's referred to as a place of torment, that place of destruction might read a little bit from Mark chapter 9, the last part of Mark chapter 9, beginning with about verse 43. Oh, I'm in Luke. I guess some of y'all are already in Mark. Here Jesus says, If your hand offends, you cut it off. Who wants to cut their hand off? Well, it's it'd be better for you to enter into life maimed or a hand cut off than having two hands and go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. By worm he's talking about maggots that eat on dead dead things. If your foot offends you, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter halt, that is, just with one foot than having two feet to be cast into hell. Into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. That doesn't sound like a very good place to me. You know, hell is compared to to the valley of Hinnom, or Gehenna. And sometimes that word Gehenna is translated hell. The Valley of Hinnom was a valley right outside of the walls of Jerusalem, and that's where they threw all of their all of their trash, garbage. It was a city dump, is where it was. And it was more than your uh, my, our city dumps. It had dead animals out there. Poor people sometimes couldn't afford a grave. When they died, they were cast out there. And it was a place where the maggots never died because there was always stuff, rotten stuff to eat on. A place where there's always fires burning would never be quenched. Now, when he talks about hell in the Bible, and the word Gehenna is used, he's not talking literally about the Valley of Hinnom. He's trying to compare, trying to tell them about a place that's a terrible place, none of them like, to try to give them some kind of an idea, some kind of a glimpse what heaven was really like, or what hell was is really like. Let me kind of state something similar to what I stated a while ago. If you don't like the bad things of this world, the hardships of this world, you don't want to go to hell. You sure don't, because you're better off to even lose a hand or a foot or an eye than it is to end up in hell, a place that you and I don't want. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 7-9, So those of you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of His power? Now that's the end result of the, of the wide gate and the broad way. Well, immediately, none of us in our minds want to go to that place do we we don't want that kind of end result of our life do we well the end result is determined by the by the life you live not only are the two different end results pictured in this passage there's two different ways to go and these two ways lead to one of those two end results one is a narrow way that means it's a restrictive way. A narrow gate. Uh, let's see. Is that what No, a straight gate. A narrow way. The way is narrow. Tied. Restrictive. We're talking about living the Christian life. Matthew 7, about verse beginning with verse uh, 21. He said, Not everyone that saith of me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but they, he that doeth the will of the Father which is in heaven. So as Many shall say unto me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Then he says, I'll profess unto them, I knew you not. Depart from me, you ye that work iniquity. So you see, in order to travel the narrow way, to go to wherever the heavenly Father is, you and I must do the will of Jesus. His will. Not everyone says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he doeth the will of the Father, which is in heaven. His will or his word, his teachings, his commandments. It goes ahead in verses 24 through 27 and compares these two different ways. And he says, the narrow way is like the man that built his house on a rock. And when the floods came, the storms came, the winds came, and beat on that house, and hit that house, and struck that house, so that house stood because it had a good foundation. But now that on the other hand, the, the man that hears the word of the Lord and doesn't do it, he's like a man built his house on sand. No good foundation. The storms and the uh, storms of life and all hit that house and it fell. Why? Because of the foundation. And again, he's trying to point out the end results of these two different ways. There is a result to the life that you live, and it makes a difference the kind of life you live as to where you're going to end up. You know, in the in the final, the final account. In Luke uh, chapter 14, 26 through 33, you hear the Bible says that a man should count the cost before he starts doing anything. And he's talking about the cost of living the Christian life. If you don't take up your cross and follow me, he says you can't be my disciple. Now he says if a man's going to build a tower, we'd say a building or a house of some kind, if he's going to build a tower, he says out first he counts the cost. Well, most people do. Sometimes some people start building something, don't figure out the cost, you know, and they end out in a pickle. I know I started out to college about halfway through that first semester. I sat down and looked, took, took a look at my finances and I was broke. I didn't have enough money to finish a rent out on that dorm and all like that. So I had to do something else. I ended up working part-time as I went through college. But you see, anything you do, you need to count the cost to start with. And if you don't have enough to finish it, don't start it. And he compares it to a man going out to in war. If a man has a certain number of soldiers in him, he's got more soldiers than that, he's sat down figure out how he can handle a greater amount of soldiers with his fewer soldiers. You know, he, he tries to figure all that out before he gets out in that war. What he's simply trying to say here is there is a cost to walk in the straight and narrow way. It's not a life of just doing whatever you want to do, it's a restrictive way. It's a restrictive way of thinking. It's a restrictive way of talking. It's a restrictive way of behaving. This wide way uh, talks about a lot of things that are available there. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 19, here he talks about the works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. You won't take the broad way, you can live that. And if you live this way, you're taking the broad way. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, such like, of which I've told you before, as i also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now this wide and crooked way, you can live whatever kind of life you want to live. You want to commit adultery, fornication, just go ahead and do it, you know. If that's the kind of life you're going to live, just go ahead and do it, you know. If you want to have hatred towards somebody, if you want to take revenge on somebody, just do it. If you want to say anything you want to say with your tongue and your mouth, and anything that comes out, just go ahead and do it. That way, there's a way that you can live a life like that. But you have to think about the end results, don't you? This way, uh, this wide way, you you don't have to Worry about your attitude towards money. First Timothy 6 verse 10 says, The love of money is a root of all evil. All kinds of evil come about by the love of money. He that will be rich has a will or desire to be rich will pierce himself through with many sorrows, the Bible says. And if you're going to take the narrow way, then you're g- going to make sure that your heart is not set on money. Now money is a good tool it can be used in the right way. And he's not saying it's wrong to be rich. But he's saying this about... Don't let it take your heart. Uh, as a matter of fact, in First Timothy chapter six, it says, uh, "Exhort those that are rich in this world's goods that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God." But if you, if you know, if you're going to take the broad and crooked way, you can just cheat and get whatever money you want to get, or steal, or take advantage of people, or whatever you want to do. You know. The Bible talks about those who are lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 4. Now if you're going to walk the straight and the narrow way, pleasure cannot always be your goal. Now there's a lot of good things in this world. This first 1 Timothy chapter 6 talking about riches. God has richly given us all things to enjoy. So there's a lot of things including money that can be enjoyable and used in an enjoyable way in this life. But if your heart's set on it, If your heart is set on money. If your heart is set on pleasure. And you want to do whatever pleases you. And makes you happy at the time. Just go ahead and take that broad way. Actually you are already taking it. Matthew 10 verse 37 says. That we should love God more than our mother and our father. Now families are great. But if you are going to walk the straight and narrow way. Sometimes you are going to have to push family aside. Not push them aside. But kind of forget them. And go on and do what's right. Family doesn't always do what's right. Family may decide to have a family reunion. They may decide to have it on Sunday. What are you going to do about going to church, you know? someone say, oh, I won't make that much difference. Do you want to walk the straight and narrow way or not, you know? If you take the broad way, you can just live whatever kind of life you want to live. And families are wonderful things too. But It's a matter of putting God first. John 12, 42 and 43, among the chief rulers, many believed on him, but they wouldn't confess him, lest they be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Do you want the approval of people? Now that's good if we've got approval, you know, and we don't give up our Christian life and Christian living. The Bible says you're the light of the world. We ought to be a good influence. But the approval of the world, the approval of people that are around about us should not be the main goal. It cannot be the main goal. If you're going to walk this straight and narrow way. Because there's going to be some times when you're going to do some things that the Lord wants you to do or not do certain things the Lord doesn't want you to do that those around about you are not going to approve of. Young folks face this all the time. Come on, everybody's doing this. It won't make any difference. And they'll think you're an old fuddy-duddy or they think you, they'll say, you think you're too good for us or something like that and make fun of you. You won't always have the approval of those around about you. Then there are those, Second Timothy 2 and verse 10, that loved unrighteousness more than righteousness. There comes a situation where what the Bible teaches about certain things, you bro- walk the broad and crooked way, it doesn't make any difference whether you follow those things or not. Just live any kind of life you want to live, you know. And there are some people, and maybe many people in this world, that would rather do what, think that the Bible teaches what they do is right than to really find out what's right. And 2 Timothy chapter 2 says if you're this way and you have pleasure and unrighteousness and receive not the love of the truth, God will allow you to go ahead and believe a lie and be damned. But if you're, going to struggle, if you're going to follow the straight and the narrow way then you're going to see what the Bible says and do what God says regardless of what the world thinks about you. Luke 14 verse 26 even says that you should love God more than you do your own self. You know. You love yourself. Well you need to have a certain amount of appreciation for yourself. Respect for yourself. Or you wouldn't even save your soul as far as that's concerned. But sometimes you have to give up things that you yourself want to do. He talks about two different ways. There's the tongue also. Proverbs 18 verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. He that loves it shall eat to the fruit thereof. Now, if you're going to walk the straight narrow way, you can't say everything you want to say or that comes into your mind. There are words that are immoral that you shouldn't use. There are words that are hurtful to other people that you shouldn't use. There are lies that you shouldn't tell, maybe to cover up for this or that or yourself or someone else. Living the Christian life is a narrow way. It's a restrictive way. It's not the easier way. As a matter of fact, this is also referred to in Luke chapter 13, verse 23 through 30. So, where it says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. It takes some strife. It takes some effort. It takes some determination. What kind of life do you want to live? Someone said, Well, that broad and crooked way sounds like a good life. Yeah, but what about the end result, you know? What about the end result? Well, there's two different destinations. There's two different ways. There's two different gates. Now, the gate here, I think, refers to the entry into the way. A lot of commentaries put the gate at the end of the way. But there's, the Bible doesn't really say directly one way or the other. But it makes more sense to me that he's talking about the entry. The gate, it, it's a It's a straight gate. The words straight and there are similar. Straight means tight, restricted place. To enter in, you know. The Bible is specific about how to enter that way. Luke 9, verse 23 says you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, you have to put God first. John 3 16, God so loved the world and gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Luke thirteen, verse three, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. If you're going to enter that gate, you need to repent. And in the culture we live in, that's the, that's the most difficult part of the gate, the way to enter that way. How to become a Christian, that's the most difficult part, the repenting. That's a change of mind. That's in the time when you no longer set your affection on things of the earth, but on things above. That's the time when you put Lord first above your love of money, the love of pleasure, pleasure, the love of your parents, the love of yourself, the love of the use of your tongue, or all these other things we spoke about. Repentance means a change. The word repent does. And it's talking about a deep enough change in your mind, in your heart, to result in a change of life. Then you need to confess your belief in Christ, Romans 10 and verse 10. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made into salvation. And then you need to be baptized. Mark 16 and verse 16. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. There is the gate. There is an entrance into the way where you start living the straight and the narrow way. Well, not everybody wants to do it that way. Not everybody wants to do it that way. Oh, I don't think you have to be baptized. Why? Well, you know, the church I go to, they don't teach you have to be baptized. And a lot of my friends, uh, you know, they're good people. They believe in Jesus. They believe in the Lord. And they try to live the kind of life the Lord teaches you ought to live, you know. And I think it's okay to just, you know, I don't think you have to be baptized. Surely God's going to overlook that. No, of course, I'm not the judge as far as that's concerned. You know that. But there's a matter of what, having pleasure in unrighteousness or having pleasure in the truth. What are you going to do? What are you going to accept? Sometimes it's very difficult for a person to give in and be baptized for of sins. Do a young fella in Oklahoma City? Young fella? He's my age. But at the time, he was young and I was too. And uh, he started... Uh, my wife, Cheryl... Her best friend, Cynthia, was dating this young man. And he was raised in a denominational church that taught you didn't have to be baptized to be saved. He got to coming and people got to talking to him. Cheryl talked to him quite a bit. I talked to him some too. Yeah, it seemed like you need to be baptized. Well, his dad was the main deacon in this church he was raised in. That didn't believe you had to be baptized in order to be saved. He'd go back and he'd talk to that preacher and he'd talk to his dad. And no, he didn't think you had to be baptized. And he'd talk to us again. And he was about 17 years old, and his parents finally told him, says, if you're baptized, you move out. Can you imagine that? That's what they told him. So you move out. So he didn't for about two years' time. He'd already spent a year in a seminary of that particular denomination to be a preacher in that group before finally he was baptized. Mom and dad said, move out. Now, if you've got a hard, mean old mom and daddy, and life is difficult at home, you might be ready to get out. But he had a good mom and dad as far as morals were concerned, and they had great, strong religious convictions. Conviction, like I said, his dad was a main, was top deacon, chief deacon, or whatever it was in that denominational church. And he loved his mom and his dad. And mom and dad were crying when they told him to move out. You think that's not hard? Well, he did obey the gospel. That's been many years. He's a deacon in the church now. And he very sad in that his dad, mom never did obey the gospel before he died. That was before they died, that is. Very sad. Sometimes it's difficult to become a Christian because the gate is straight. The gate is straight. <clears throat> so what kind of a life are you going to live? The other gate is a broad a wide gate. The Bible says be ye hearers of the word and not doers only. If you're going to take uh, take the wide uh, wide gate, well, you can hear God's Word, but you don't have to do it. You know, I was talking to a young lady one time. She used to be a member of the church. matter of fact, I baptized her. Later on, she and her husband had problems. Then on top of that, they had alcohol problems and this and that. And she finally left the church and she and her husband got divorced. But I went to visit her and talk with her one time and she says, well, where I'm going to church... You can live any way you want to live. It's okay. They don't frown on anything you do. And so I don't have a conscience that I have to deal with over the life I live and the things I do. Now that's what she told me. Well, she never did make a change back as far as I know. Maybe she will yet, but if she's still alive, I don't know. You know, there's two different ways to go. There's two different gates to enter. The Christian life is a restrictive life. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad life. You know, in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, he talks about a highway. Actually, in, uh, if I remember right, in Isaiah chapter 35, towards the end of it, he talks about uh, a prophecy about New Testament times. It says, and a way shall be there. There shall be a highway there for the redeemed. And he's talking about Christianity. You know what a highway is? Isaiah chapter 40 talks about a highway as a place where the hills are lowered, the valleys are exalted, the crooked is made straight, and the rough is made smooth. In other words, a highway is a specially prepared way. That's the way we build our highways. I-35, well it didn't used to be I-35, US-77 used to run back and forth from Dallas to Oklahoma City and when you got to Arbuckle Mountains, <clears> he <throat> had that hairpin turn and twist and turns. You look over here, it's way down there. I saw a truck down there one time that didn't make the turn and all. <clears throat> but I-35, they built it. You know what they did? <clears throat> Rather than twisting around going up and down over those mountains and hills like that, they cut through there and they lowered, the, they lowered the hills. And the low spots, they filled them in, they raised the valleys. And a lot of the crooked stuff, they straightened out. A lot of the rough stuff, they smooth. I need to do some more smoothing on it. (laughs) But uh, there's a difference in a trail and a highway. A trail follows the contour of the land. Highway is a specially prepared way. And this way for the redeemed that Isaiah was talking about was a highway, a specially prepared way. There are difficulties, all right, but the Lord is making it as easy on us as he can. Coming to me, all you laboring heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. A meek and lowly heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a yoke to carry a load, but the yoke makes the load easier to carry. <clears throat> you know, actually, when he talks about the end results, the straight and narrow way leads to life. Now, we've talked about eternal life, and I think that's the end result. But the word is not eternal life here, it's life. Not eternal life, it's life. And Christianity, the narrow way, makes even this life better. You go the broad way, like I said, you don't have to bridle your tongue, don't have to control it, just say anything you want to say. But you know, that brings difficulties, doesn't it? That brings problems, doesn't it? You just say anything that comes in your mind, you know? And vent your temper anytime you want to, you know? And this kind of stuff. It may be easier at the time, but even in this life, life is better when you don't say everything you think, and you even try to control the things you think, and it makes life better, doesn't it? it certainly does. And that's the way it's, with a lot of these things. This straight and narrow way is a restrictive way, but it's a highway, especially prepared way. You know, First uh, Timothy, what is it, six and about verse four and about verse eight. Bodily exercise verilith, verily profiteth little, but the. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is, and of that which is to come. And so the straight way has a promise not only of that which is to come, eternal life, but even in this life, it makes things better. It is better that you don't love money above everything else. That'll cause you problems. I knew a fellow, and he loved money, took advantage of lots of people, didn't have any friends in the community. He changed from church to church and into different towns nearby, different churches. And when they find out the way he was about money, they didn't want any dealings with him. And these other things, love of pleasure above everything else. You know, the teachings of the Lord, He said, my commandments are not grievous. The Lord, that way straight and narrow way is a specially prepared way to make it as easy as it can be. Because these things have promised promise not only of that life that is to come, but also of this life also. Well, there's two different groups headed too. Which group are you going to be with? It depends on which way you go. If you go the straight and narrow way, you're going to be with a few. If you go the wide and the broad way, you'll be with the many there. The Bible talks about like Luke 12 verse 32. Jesus says, It's God's pleasure to give unto you, little flock, the kingdom of God. The, God's people are referred to as a little flock. They are the few. Do you remember uh, about Noah? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3. And about verse 20. It says when once a long suffering of God. Waited in the days of Noah. While the ark was preparing. Where in wherein few. That is eight souls were saved by water. The Bible says. Many are called but few are chosen. Matthew 20 and verse 16. So if you are going to go the straight and the narrow way, you're going to be with the few. You'll not be with the multitude. But on the other hand, if you want to go with the multitude, it'll be just just the opposite, won't it? <clears throat> There's two or three passages I want to look at in closing. <clears throat> Romans 8 and verse 18. You know, I don't know about y'all, but a sermon is a growing thing with me. Uh, I had most of this stuff prepared for. ever came up here. did some more study on it last night. And on the way over here, I reviewed my notes. And I added three more passages that came to my mind, you know. Of course, you can't cover everything. But, but listen to this in Romans 8 and verse 18 here. For I reckon, well, listen to what Paul says. For I reckon that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. The difficulty is now, there's no comparison with the way things are going to be in eternity. You know, so Paul in one place says, I count my, my afflictions as light afflictions, Second Corinthians chapter 11. And then he lists those light afflictions. Been in shipwreck, been beaten with rods three times, left for dead a few times, in danger even among false brethren, trouble and heartaches in the church, the burden of all the church upon him. He he refers to all these things as but light afflictions. Why were they light afflictions? Compared to the end result. Compared to the end result. Matthew 16 verse 26. What's man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? If you enjoy everything this world's got to offer you, and you go that way and do whatever you want to do, live however you want to live, you know, what are you profited at the end of life if you lose your soul? Nothing at all. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 26 talks about Moses. And Moses, when he led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, it says he forsook the treasures that he had in Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Recompense means payback. Moses was a great man in Egypt. Mighty in word and in deed, Acts chapter 7. He had great riches there. Important man. That's what he had in Egypt. He left all of that to suffer with the people of God for a season. He knew it would be but a season. Why? Because he looked at the reward at the end of of his life. When he considered the reward at the end of his life, it was worth everything it cost him here in this world. He had respect under the recompense of the reward. He had consideration of the end result. He had consideration of the payback that would come at the end of time. <clears throat> well, the lesson is yours. This passage talks about, <clears throat> talks about two different end results. There's life and there's destruction. It talks about two ways. One is a narrow way, restrictive. The others are broad and wide way, can do anything you want to do. It talks about two gates, two entries in there. One is restricted, and the other is a wide way. And it talks about two groups of people. It talks about the few that are going at the straight gate, walking the narrow way that will get life. And then he talks about the many that enter the wide gate, walk the broad way, and end up in destruction. I would encourage you to have respect under the recompense of the reward. I would encourage you not to live just today for today. Thing about the end of your life. And like I said, godliness has promise of the life that now is as well as that which is to come. You'll even find your life better now, ordinarily. Because I doubt if you're going to be beaten with many rods. I doubt if you're going to, well, sometimes might be in danger among false brethren and all, but you won't be left for dead. Probably no shipwrecks and all. And there may come a time when there's a lot of persecution in this life to Christians. It might come, I don't know. But all of it, heaven is worth it all. If you're here this morning and you need to be baptized into Christ, we'd like to encourage you to enter that straight gate with your mind set to live that narrow way, with your hope set on that eternal reward at the end of time. We're going to sing an invitation song to encourage you to come, to be baptized into Christ. If you're here this morning, you desire the prayers of the church. Invite you to come too. Will you come? Stand and sing the song selected.